Okay, we are live. Today we have Ben with Peony Lane Winery. How you doing? Oh, I'm having a great day, Michael. Great to chat with you. Yeah, man. I've uh, I've been really excited to have you on. Um, I I don't know much about wine, but I obviously enjoy wine. Uh, I have a bunch of friends and family that know more about wine than me. Um, so when I saw or got in touch with you on Twitter and I saw you posting about different things, um, the fact that you're a winemaker and that you're into Bitcoin immediately grabbed my attention. Um, so I had to give your content uh, a chance and I, I started to love it over time. Um, and then I started to see the ideas that you're sharing and um, uh, I, I I needed to have you on the podcast and, and talk further. Um, so first, what I want to ask you was, how did you become a winemaker? Um, and uh, when when did you first, you know, think about it? Or, you know, what were your influences, everything like that? Give me a little background. So I grew up on a farm where my dad's, my family's goal was to grow all their own food. And it was originally uh, 64 acres apples and pears all organic and the guy who was growing it before um made a huge bet on red delicious apples that was horrible and so we had to cut down a ton of apple trees and my dad was just kind of what should i plant in this land now and a friend of his was like you should plant some pinot noir grapes i will buy all the grapes from you wow and so three years in we got our first small crop and my dad was like, hey, buy these grapes. You said you would. And he's like, no, I don't want them till the fourth year, but I'll show you how to make wine. And so my dad made wine, turned out well. He realized that making wine was like 5% of the work. So he's like, the next year, he's like, I'm not selling you the grapes. I'm making wine and just kept making wine from there on out. Then after a few years, he had some huge crop and to make all the wine, he had to get a liquor license and had too much wine to drink himself. So he started selling it a little bit and two or three years of doing that. He's what late fifties, 60 at the time. His goal was not to start a winery. It was to retire and live off the land. Um, he had 18 barrels of wine go bad. It was a mistake he made, but like it happens to a degree. Um, and he just said, screw it. I'm going to make enough wine for myself and sell the rest of the grapes. So I grew up around that. I was never really a part of it. I grew up in the, vin like working on the vineyard in the summers. Okay. Hated it. Like the worst uh, yeah, I was going to say, so did you enjoy <laughs> it as a kid or when you were younger? I, no, I mean, part of that's like you're working for your dad. And, right. You know, that sucks. And you just want to be hanging out with friends. But right. um, like even compared to other farm tasks, the vineyard time was the worst. It was just sit down like or like get on your knees do a bunch of stuff stand up walk three feet over get on your it was just like never ending and so long and so then i go off to college forget about it you know move away um studied geology traveled a little bit um and then was living in denver working as a geologist realized that geology wasn't the right career path and had kind of been dabbling and starting my own businesses none of which really went anywhere they weren't there were side hustles more than anything and i was just on the phone with my dad one day and he brought up like what the numbers of like what it costs to produce a bottle of wine how much you can sell it for and i was like those numbers make sense why don't i just do this you can teach me how to make wine you have most of the gear to get right. me started at least um and he's fired up about it because i mean i was living in denver five hours away he wants me to move home um and so Basically, I kind of just, without knowing anything, started making wine. So when, um, when was this? While, 2019. So while I was living mm -hmm. in Denver, I was just like commuting on weekends, five hours um, to work 12-hour days and make wine. And then, um, you know, my parents helped me out a ton. Like, it's like, you can't just do it like that. Like, that it would, I would get the grapes, crush them. Um, they would ferment for two weeks. The next weekend, I would get the next set of grapes, crush them. The next week, I would, the like, and my parents are working with the fermentation and everything that year. Um, and so 
yeah, I had never made wine before and just started making wine and was like, all right, my dad will teach me. And obviously I like, this is a few months of learning and trying to get as much education as possible, reading books. I mean, I'm throwing my life at this with a full-time job and um, <laughs> I get back and actually start making wine and very quickly realize that my dad doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> um, but like that said, he made amazing wine. Like it was the it wine in the Valley. There's like 10 wineries in my area. And when he was selling it, people loved it. So something's right. Right. Um, and a lot of that I've, I've learned is just um, it comes down to the farming. So I make natural wine. I was, I was going to ask this, you about that. I was going to say yeah, so, your wine is you make natural wine versus conventional wine. Right? Yeah. So there's natural wine is kind of a, a loose terminology, but natural wine essentially is trying to be as hands off as possible in both the farming and the grape growing pro or in the winemaking process. So with the farming, we essentially dry farm, which means we don't irrigate. So we're forcing those roots to go super far down, get a lot of cool nutrients with them. Um, we're not spraying anything and we're being relatively hands off with the vines themselves. Um, with that, we're able to have a very healthy microbiome. So the yeast that lives on the grapes is actually what ferments mm. into wine, where instead of adding a um, laboratory isolated or produced yeast, we literally just pick the grapes, crush them, get the stems out, and they ferment on their own. Wow. If you did that in a vineyard where you were spraying a ton of pesticides and herbicides, those yeasts would turn your grapes into vinegar wow. uh, most yeasts do but um that healthy microbiome just kind of allows things to go on their own path and so then wine is made natural yeast nothing's added but then in the winemaking process there's a ton of stuff that gets added in conventional winemaking um like flavor modifiers texture modifiers acidity modifiers like all these different all these different chemicals and preservatives like sulfites and that just like i think the beauty in wine is showing the beauty of the place it comes from and when you're doing all these manipulations the winemaker kind of determines the flavor as opposed to the grapes mm. um, so i'm trying to let the grapes express themselves um, and not get my hands on them but also it's like when you add all that stuff to your wine you're getting just like a diluted product and I'm at the point where maybe I'm extra sensitive to this, but I know other people experience this as well. But like I break out a nice bottle of conventional wine. Like I spent a hundred dollars on a bottle and brought it over to my friend's house for Christmas dinner and start drinking it. And I get a headache pretty much instantly. I switch to my wine and the headache goes away, like no water or anything. Just, it's just grapes. That's all. And, um, that was a very visceral experience, just experiencing the the two side by side, my headache going away. But it's a very common thing. A lot of people get headaches from wine and they don't really know natural wine exists. So they think it's just wine gives them headaches, but it's really all the stuff in the wine that gives them a headache. That's that's interesting because, yeah, you're right. I don't know that many people know that natural wine exists. And something that I like that you said, it was in your pinned tweet in the video that you have about your winery and who you are. You said that winemaking is an art and a science, and I, mm -hmm. I absolutely love that. And that's kind of what you started to touch on, how you as the winemaker, you you have to make a choice on how much you're influencing the winemaking process, um, but you're trying to be more laissez-faire, hands-off, uh, letting the grapes kind of determine that themselves. And um, really, your your area is, is you're saying that's really what influences the flavor of the wine the most the the area that you're the in the soil the climate i mean the the clone of the wine grape also influences a ton but um yeah i mean there's so many scientific like measurements and all these different things you can do in wine and realistically like i should probably do more but i think this is one of the like weird benefits i get from being an outsider coming into wine Definitely. is like i don't know all these crazy processes to do so i don't do them i'm not tempted to like experiment with them um and i learned different techniques i mean i'm four years in like i'm i'm becoming a better winemaker generally but 
if I had gone to school for winemaking, they would have taught me all these different things you can do to manipulate the wine. And like, I'm not perfect. If I know how to do these things, I might get tempted to do them. But the idea that I, I just don't do them. I don't know how to do them. And I'm fine with that. And I make good wine without it. That's awesome. So now what's been the biggest lesson that you've learned over your four years doing this so far? <laughs> I've messed up a lot of wine. Uh, right. It's, it's almost impossible not to. I feel like if you're taking on that risk, you're going to mess up some wine. Um, but the fact that you took on that risk, I, 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 I'm, it's, it's, it's inspiring, honestly, because not many people would do that. I, I've had dreams with my wife in the past. We've talked about how awesome it might be to own a winery and we've just said it in jest kind of, um, but to actually have the balls to do that, I, I give you a, a lot of uh, credit. We, um, we made our own wine for our wedding as a giveaway. So that's we, awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. We ended up buying around, I think it was like maybe like $900 or a thousand dollars worth of grapes. Um, went through the whole crushing process, put them in the, the barrels, uh, let them ferment for a little bit. And I think we ended up getting over 300 bottles of wine. I think it was like five and a half gallons or five gallons. Um, it was really cool. And, and I bought the equipment uh, to continue doing it over time next time we get a chance. Um, but yeah, like going back to when you said that it's an art and a science, what's so now what's your take on that? Because that's how I view jujitsu. Honestly, I view jujitsu mm -hmm. as an art and a science and more and more as time goes on, I'm viewing it as an expression of myself or a way for me to express myself. So how do you view that with yourself and winemaking? Well, I there's a lot of like measurables and I think you can maybe relate this to jujitsu as far as like there's specific technique and there's specific moves. Right. But there's the realm between like, there's the realm beyond that. And so I can measure all these different things about my wine and know about it more. But like what really matters is the sensory experience. And I know that changing or the difference between different numbers does change my sensory experience, but it's the art of that sensory experience that really matters. Um, and how we get there is if you're going the science route, you can, like I said, manipulate things to get to a certain point, but the art route is really just is the farming. Um, okay. And there's certain things that you like say specifically you do, but like each plant is completely different. Each season is completely different. And I mean, realistically, like 90% of the, the plants experience is underground. They send their roots so deep. I have no idea what's going on down there realistically. So I just see the, the up above ground expression of that and snip the fruits and That's make awesome. the wine out of it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all the I, I really see the art stuff is just like all the stuff that we can't really measure and we just have to describe. And, and I feel like the 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 people's experience that might be drinking your wine when you're sharing it with them might be a part of that art experience, too. Totally. So getting into this, like I realized that to run a successful business, you got to be passionate about what you're doing. Yeah. And like I said, I got into wine and growing up, I hated working in the vineyard. Um, and I also knew nothing about wine. Like I was not some guy that was buying nice bottles and like tasting them, um, with friends or anything. Right. So really I got into this, like, because I was interested in business, but I've had, so I, then I realized that and I was like, okay, shoot, I got to figure out how to make a passion out of this business that I'm fully committed to. And I found that like, I love talking to people. I love the conversation and I love the connection and I love community building. So now I'm orienting that my business to be able to be like connecting with people, talking about wine, educating, um, but also realizing that like sharing a glass of wine just with someone and just having a good conversation and the intangibility of that is where the beauty is. And so my awesome. next goals in the business, I'm living in a small town of 2000 that I grew up in that I'm planning on living in for realistically the rest of my life. I want to create a business that facilitates good conversation and community building within that town to hopefully large goal, 
help push the town in a direction of one that like I want to live in that I want to be a part of. So dude, you just jacked me up so much. That's awesome. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so now, um, so yeah, so that in that, in that way, then the winemaking is your vehicle. It's your vehicle exactly. to live mm-hmm. out your passion. And I think when a lot of people get stuck, they get stuck because they don't realize that they need a vehicle to drive their passion. Um, and that the vehicle might not always be the passion itself. And mm-hmm. I think that's how I've been using teaching in a public school, right? Like me teaching in a public school is not my ideal uh, setting to be teaching. Um, but I, I love it. I enjoy it. I love that population of kid. I love um, just like sometimes the controlled chaos of it all. Um, but if I didn't start teaching in that public school setting and follow that passion or curiosity for just learning and uh, education itself, I never would have started coaching. I never would have then started teaching yoga. And I wouldn't have then realized that I want to teach and coach in a health uh, context too. So um, I I think the fact that you're using winemaking as your vehicle to live out your passion and to be the author of your life is one of the coolest things ever. And I think that's really what everyone is looking for ultimately. Totally. And it took me a little while to figure this out. And I'm really just at a spot right now within the business where it's like, okay, cool. The vehicle funds itself. Like I'm at a spot where, um, cause like I make wine that first year I made wine, had no idea if it was good. People told me it was good. Like I had professional people come and taste the wine, but like, I don't know right as a fact that it's good and i'm not gonna know for two years until the market decides that it's good like i need sales to know that my wine is good right and so every year that i make wine it's two years before any like incredible movement into the free market and so that first year of sales which was summer 2021 i sold out of everything i had but i did not have like a ton of wine it was a great, like, okay, cool. I'm doing the right thing. My wine's good. It sells. But this past year was the first time that I'm like, cool, I'm selling as much wine as possible and we're growing here and I'm making enough to like be paying back loans, expanding business. Like the baseline is now set that I can then continue that foundation and build on top of it. So like the vehicle works, I know that now. And so now my strat, my, what I'm trying to figure out is, where do I want to take this? And I told you like long-term goal, it's, it's the the community oriented thing, but in just like in the last four or five months, I've just like gotten all these doors opened through Twitter, meeting other Bitcoiners, going to Bitcoin events. And that's what I've found is like, if I'm talking about wanting to put myself around people, the community, what I'm passionate about. I want to put myself around the best people, the people I really want to spend time with, the most curious um, people and just like motivated people that I want to be around. And I've found the Bitcoin community to be the highest hit rate for that. I mean, not every Bitcoiner is perfect, but like I've just found going to Bitcoin events, meeting other Bitcoiners, like the passion and energy. and curiosity within that group is super high. So I'm like, all right, how can I turn wine education, wine, just getting people, the conversations together within Bitcoin? And um, I'm just- they're, they're both they're both low time, time preference, right? They're- Totally. So Bitcoiners really relate to wine because they get the idea of buying something and understanding that it's going to be better in the future. Um, there's also like, this is a little thing, but- um, you know, you store your Bitcoin in quote unquote cold storage <laughs> and you got to have the right storage practices to keep your wine to make sure it's valuable in the future as well. Yes. Um, there's all these parallels that Bitcoiners just natively re- respond to wine. I mean, there's so, like the low time preference thinking the um, not valuing the present in, ex- excuse me, in exchange for the future is so pervasive in that community and there's so much like wanting to, okay, cool. I'm going to put in the hard work now so that it pays off in the future. Um, there's so much of that energy in the community. That's like, I mean, that's just the way I want to live is, is thinking about the long term and 
you know, putting in the work in the short term so it can pay off and experiencing those compound effects that, um, yeah, I'm trying to, right now, I'm just trying to figure out how to get Bitcoiners together with my wine and kind of are combine. You the, are you the first business. guy? Are you the first guy that's trying to bridge wine and Bitcoin? Do you know of anyone else? I mean, there's a lot of other people that are into wine and Bitcoin. I'm have not come across like another wine business owner that is into Bitcoin. Okay. Um, hobby winemakers, a hundred percent there's they're out there. Um, but like, yeah, so I started accepting Bitcoin for wine sales this past summer and started out being like, look, I just want to meet other Bitcoiners. I'm going to put this sign here and girls walk by and they're like, whoa, Bitcoin, we should tell your brother, <laughs> you know, it didn't, <laughs> nothing's happening. But um, it kind of was like, oh, cool. You're a business that's selling wine for big or selling something for Bitcoin. So people started liking that on Twitter. My, you know, my content started expanding and then people started finding me. And there were the random people who would like be like, holy crap, you're a Bitcoiner. I'm, I've never made a purchase with Bitcoin before. This is awesome. Wow. Um, and then there's also people that are like, yo, I'm one guy drove five hours to come to a farmer's market. Basically, like he had one other like excuse wow. to come out there, but basically drove five hours, bought $500 of wine from me. Um, wow. The support is insane. And it's, yeah, I don't know. The support within the Bitcoin community for someone like just going, I mean, after, I would be doing this if no one else, if no one else, if no one was buying Bitcoin, I would still buying it with Bitcoin. I would <laughs> still have that sign, but like the support for my business within the Bitcoin community has been insane. Some serious like loyalty there. And it's also opening their eyes to natural wine. Cause like you said, most people don't know what natural wine is. And so it's this new experience for them. They're learning. And now they're like, well, why would I buy conventional wine? Just like, why would I buy, um, to use Safedine's terms, industrial sludge for my food? Right. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's an educational process um, in the wine realm that I'm, and I'm giving them good wine. They're giving me good money. And um, the, the, like, the thing with it, though, is, is like... A lot of other people at farmers markets are like, whoa, you have all these people that are coming up and just buying wine because of Bitcoin. And I'm like, yeah, this is, I mean, it's something I'm really passionate about and they want to support, but like, it's, if you accepted Bitcoin and like just accepted Bitcoin, that's cool. But like, there's also the factor of like, I'm legitimately extremely passionate about this and psyched to sell you something and just like teach you to get through your first Bitcoin transaction in person. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something to that, um, that, that connection. And I've been a lot of people's first Bitcoin purchase or purchase for something with Bitcoin. That's, that's uh, been really cool. That's awesome. So you've probably influenced or orange pilled more people than what you even realize. Or, I mean, that. my goal was just to be a touch point. Like yeah, yeah. how many times did you have to hear about Bitcoin before you got into it? Right. I just wanted to be that sign. Whoa, there's a successful business that is accepting Bitcoin. That's cool. Like associate yep. Bitcoin with something positive. Um, and running from there has been fun. That's awesome. So uh, another question for you. Were you a Bitcoiner or a winemaker first? I was a winemaker first. So, so do, you think that, do you think your understanding for a low time preference and the fact that, you know, if you told anyone who's looking to get into a business that, you know, you would your product, you said, wouldn't be able to be sold for two years. That would stop 99% of people from even wanting to get into it because they wouldn't understand or they wouldn't want to think about how to survive. Um, so do you think you're your understanding for wine and the process and the low time preference made it easy for you to understand Bitcoin eventually when you were introduced to it? I would, yes. Um, I had to do a lot of unlearning to understand Bitcoin. Um, I was really into just economics podcasts and personal finance as a passion and like helping like, like you, I love educating and learning and I would like legitimately just be like, hey, can I come over on Friday? We're going to have lunch and I'm going to help you set up these new bank accounts, nice. get, like get the right credit cards and start budgeting. And we're going to fix your finances to like all my friends who would listen. That is my favorite thing to do. 
Um, and so I'm deep listening to NPR economics podcasts, um, learning just like, I mean, in hindsight, feeling like I was brainwashed. <laughs> and um, so I randomly lived with a Bitcoiner. Like I found him off Craigslist and just, I didn't know he was a Bitcoiner when I moved in. I wasn't a Bitcoiner in 2018 and um, lived with him for two years. Just touched on the subject. He was my crazy libertarian friend. I, <laughs> I called him because um, I was, I was, um, I like, I was pretty far left politically. Um, and then I moved back home, built a house with my dad and moved in with one of my best friends from high school who also turned out to be a Bitcoiner. And he and I would always talk like geopolitics, finance, everything. And so he pushed me to be like, Hey, think about these other things and learn. And it took me so long to like, just get out of the framework of what I'd been thinking of, like as far as finance went and the world worked um, because I had spent so much time learning about that, 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 that was like a very deeply ingrained framework. And so it took a long time to get out of that. And then the flip just kind of switched um, after listening to, Michael Saylor and Robert Breedlove, like 10 part podcast series. And then um, within that still, I didn't really understand the concept of inflation being um, that like it's expansion of the money supply, not change in prices and change in prices are just an expression of expansion of the monetary supply. Um, And listening to Jeff Booth talk about with Robert Breedlove, talk about his book, the price of tomorrow and how, since we're get, just getting better at producing things, realistically, like prices should be going down because we're just improving our technology stack. And that every bit that price goes up is not only that is taking from our, like, that's just stealing from our, our future selves, right? Yeah. But it's also like, it's not even, it should be zero. It's prices should be going down. Like right. that, that was the flip I needed for me. Understanding inflation was the flip. And, um, then you kind of go crazy for a little bit on Bitcoin and get obsessed. <laughs> and like, um, I'm kind of coming in off that at like settling in being like, cool, I don't need to think about Bitcoin every day because <laughs> it's a constant. Yes. But what I've learned is the people in that space are the thing that I want to just push deeper and deeper into. And the things around that, like, I mean, going to conferences, I was like, wow, these are my people. And then going to, have you heard of the Beef Initiative? Uh, Tristan mentioned that to me. Tristan mentioned it. I, I, sure. didn't, yeah. I, didn't, um, I didn't hear about it before he mentioned it, but he said that he briefly bumped into you there or, or, uh, yeah, my... I didn't know who he was, but there was a beef initiative conference 20 minutes from my house. And, um, so I reached out to him just as like, Hey, I'm another Bitcoiner in the area doing farming. Um, and I got to give a tour of my vineyard for that conference, but cool. that conference, the caliber of person at that conference, I was just like, wow. I need to dive into this because these are absolutely the best people I could be around. I, every, every Bitcoiner or almost every Bitcoiner I've met or gotten the chance to connect with has given me a similar vibe. Um, of, of course you'll find some duds or some, some bad eggs in, in every bunch, but I, I would agree that Bitcoiners to me are some of the best thinkers, the most curious. Um, and, uh, I think the most rational, so I, I would agree that if you could find a community like that and lean into it, that's awesome. I haven't had the chance to go to any Bitcoin conferences. Which ones have you gone to? Well, just I just went to Miami, the, cool. the big guy, and then the Beef Initiative one. And in my experience, I would just say like, yeah, we're saying like Bitcoiners in general, we relate to. But like what that says is we have a similar framing of the world and right. we think of think from things from first principles or from the base root of everything and then build out from there. And so our brains work similarly. It's easy to connect. And within that, I would just say you find a group of Bitcoiners that's into what you're into and in that baseline understanding of Bitcoin is our foundation. And then we both love the same things, just kind of take things off to the next level. It's really interesting. So Beef Initiative, a bunch of um, people who are regener- into regenerative agriculture, changing their diet, um, just living in a self-sovereign way, something that I completely relate to. 
and was fired up about. Whereas if you go to one of those big conferences, it's just, you know, it's anyone. Right. You know, so now, would you say if we had to, sl- I, I don't like labeling things, but if we had to slap a label onto what we're talking about, mm-hmm. would you call it like a self, a movement towards self-sovereignty? Like as, as the world might be pushing us towards um, the entire opposite, there's also the opposing energy pushing towards some people striving for more self-sovereignty. And, you know, one person might not be on their, uh, you know, pasture raised grass fed beef uh you know journey yet but they might get there in like a year or two just from being surrounded by enough bitcoiners and being surrounded by enough uh i don't know health enthusiasts on twitter if you had to slap a label on it would you call it self-sovereignty or would you call it something different i don't i think that self-sovereignty is a huge part of it but it's like to me it's just really like getting to the the foundational principles of the world and like money i find as the the baseline of society it's how we all interact and prices are a supercomputer for computing value Mm. um and bitcoin the idea of bitcoin is like let's have free market money so we can actually have free market prices and that supercomputer of knowledge of the free market can just flourish and exist. Um, and it, it kind of comes down to like, just a lack of, I want like a lack of manipulation, a lack of like disruption, right. a lack of distortion in my life. And so that's why all these Bitcoiners are going like, I want to meet my rancher. I want to have that firsthand like connection to my food. Um, because they have that. Food. Mm -hmm. striving for truth completely yeah so you find that in money you find that in the base layer of society and then you're like cool so where else can i go and the first place a lot of people look is health and so exercise food all that because that's the base layer of you and so then you want to build that up to strength and then you can pursue the next thing it's a good point especially that health is the base layer of you and then you could expand out from there um so you're I, I would con- I mean, even me being an educator, I would consider you an educator, uh, even if you don't label yourself that. So in, in doing so, even in having conversations with people about Bitcoin, about wine, what do you think is the catalyst that really gets people to change their mindset? Kind of like you were just explaining with yours. Is it. Do people have to be feared or backed into a corner? I was asking Tristan this yesterday in in our conversation in a different context, because even me working as a health coach, I wonder how I could inspire people in the best way that I can to make changes for themselves or to think differently. And I don't like fearing people. I don't like uh, using fear tactics or fear mongering. Um, But sometimes, sometimes that works. Uh, So I was wondering in your experience when you're talking about wine or Bitcoin with people, what have you noticed be one of the bigger catalysts in shifting a mindset or just in conversation? Well, I mean, to your point, like it's different for everyone. And a lot of times, yeah, seeing like the the downside of, of like your money just being inflated away or something is something that um, people are just going to be latch onto. And then that's going to be their bridge into the seeing a different way about things. Um Honestly, like I've, 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 realized... done this, I've done this incorrectly because I've I've bothered a lot of people uh, in in my <laughs> early in my early Bitcoin conversations. I've turned off a lot of people, and I I uh, I got people red faced. Um, I was pretty good at keeping my cool, but it's almost like I was invalidating their identity to a certain degree when I would start to ask certain questions, and then um, mm-hmm. I had to I had to back off for, for a little bit. And and you seem Uh, extremely articulate and well thought out and i was just wondering like you know have you caught yourself in those circumstances or discussions and how do you handle it oh yeah i mean like bitcoin is the number one thing that i wanted to talk about over the last two years like Mm -hmm. i've and in that you're like oh everyone i convinced to buy bitcoin over the last two years is now at a loss nice (laughs) i feel great about that um so i've like I want to get all my friends off of zero Bitcoin just because it's like, let's, let's get a bird in the hand and you can watch it. You can feel it. And it's a lot easier to buy more than buying your first. Um, 
And at times I've gone through different strategies of let me set you up with a way to buy it. Let me set you up with, um, let me just set you up with a wallet and I'll send you some, all that different stuff. But I mean, that's just, I want you to care about it and owning a little bit, like makes you care about it a little bit more because most people like, I'm, like I said, I'm really into personal finance and like, I love this shit. <laughs> no one else does. Come on. No, not, not many people um, <laughs> do. Not many people do. So, so in that, like I've dealt with, I don't care, Ben, like, <laughs> cool. You have a Roth IRA. Nice. Like, um, I've, so I've dealt with that and I've dealt with explaining money and setting people up and realizing that it's on them. Um, I can set someone up with a budget. If they don't follow it, they don't follow it. And so what I've realized is like in my friend group, friends from home, every single person owns Bitcoin. Why? Because me and my other buddy, two dudes who are pretty successful in their lives, both are really into it. And so other people listen. And so I've stopped explaining it. I mean, if someone asks, like, I'm all about it, but like, I'm not going after you. Hey, you need to buy Bitcoin, man. Cause that has just like, so little success rate. What I've realized is like, I want to just like put it out there. I'm a Bitcoiner and I, this is something that's very important to me. And it's a very big part of my life and my business, but you got to come to me and I'm going to give you a reason to come to me by being successful and being happy and just striving in a lot of ways. Like I think the best way to orange pill people, which is to get people into Bitcoin is just to be your best self and they will come to you because believe me, they know you're a Bitcoiner because you have not <laughs> shut up about it for two years. <laughs> I love that. The best way to orange pill people is just to be your best self. That's that's honestly the I think that might be the best orange pill tactic I've I've ever heard, honestly. People are attracted to success and they want to emulate it. And so if you can be successful and be a Bitcoiner and have Bitcoin be part of that success, like people are gonna want to copy your model in their own way it's it's really that simple uh, i wish i talked to you about this like you know maybe three or four years ago that would have saved me a bunch of... i wish i had talked to myself about <laughs> this three or four years ago come on <laughs> a lot of failure in the in the midterm to get here so yeah man and that's and that's honestly the only way and i'm, I'm at a similar point in my bitcoin journey too where i i don't even look at the price every day i mean maybe i do uh maybe once i'll glance at it quickly but it might you know might, about where it is, but you're not stressing yeah, about it. Right. I don't even stress about it. Um I bought I first heard about it in mid mid 2017. Yeah. So maybe like May or June of 2017. Um I looked at it and it was it might have touched a thousand earlier that year, then it came down and it was approaching a thousand again, I think. And then um I was watching it throughout the summer. I just didn't really know what it was. And then as it was approaching three thousand and then four thousand. I said, fuck, I have to, I have to look at this. This is pretty interesting. And then I got caught in that massive crash. It's down 90% in some alts too. Uh, educated myself the entire way down and just kept dollar cost averaging throughout 2020 with whatever I could afford. And then um, throughout that time, as I'm building my conviction in the thesis, I'm then trying to communicate that to other people, but I, I wasn't aware of how on the fringe that was at the time. Because especially going, then, even right, more especially so. Then. Yeah, because it's going down in price and that's what everyone's looking at, but they don't realize that, you know, the price isn't always accurate to the real value um, that kind of varies over time. So, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm now at the point where I don't even consume much news of it. I, I'll look into different developments or ideas, especially in mining. I find mining pretty interesting these days. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my, one of my good friends, he's uh, like years ago when we first got into this in 2017, he brought up um, capturing methane gas as a way to power miners. And now we see people starting to do that, especially close to where we are in New Jersey. So the development that I'm seeing in the space over the last five plus years has been amazing. It's, it's been greater than anything I thought. But yeah, the, the point that I'm at in the process is I'll let people come to me if they want to be educated or learn more about Bitcoin. I'll try to answer anything I can. If not, I'll point them in the direction that um, I think is best. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I noticed that a lot of the content creators around Bitcoin these days, I don't know if 
if you looked into some of the older ones, but a lot of the content creators today are extremely different from when um, I first got in in 2017. And then I was looking up the content creators from 2014 or 2015. Like um, I'm sure, you know, Andreas Antonopoulos heard of don't know. Okay. So I'll I'll send you some of his stuff later. Um, He, he was into Ethereum too. So some Bitcoin maximalists aren't a fan of him, but, in my opinion, he early on, he explained it better than anyone I've still seen explain it today technologically. So uh, like someone like him, he doesn't really make content as much anymore. So new Bitcoiners aren't really getting the same content that we did maybe totally. two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. So I always think, you know, when is when is mass adoption going to happen? And then I go back to that thought of it, are people going to have to be feared or pressured into it or are enough people going to look at what's happening around the world? And Well, there has to be a catalyst, right? Right. You're not just like, I'm going to sit in dollars. I'm going to sit in my bank account until, you know, until something goes wrong. My catalyst for that was like, I'm super into personal finance and my state is like, okay, cool. Low 2% inflation. I have a 2% interest rate on my bank account that is just staying at zero. Mm. Then in 2019, they dropped all the interest rates. And so that my interest rate was essentially zero. I knew I was losing money with inflation, 2%, not the biggest deal in the short term, but I knew that something was wrong and I started asking questions. And it took another year for me to find Bitcoin as an answer. But that, like the the paradigm of being able to save money um, or, I mean, I don't don't know what's going to break, but like, eventually something's going to break to the point where people start asking questions and they will find a solution in Bitcoin in a lot of senses. And I mean, in the United, the thing is, is like, I try and explain all these things to friends and I'm like, Oh yeah. But in the United States, like you don't have to worry about this as much. And it's like, it's, it's a bummer. Cause like I, you are going to have to worry about this, but you're not going to wake up to that. The the fact that you're a frog being boiled slowly. (laughs) Right for longer and like you could just realize that now but but you can't so there's two ways i think to get people interested in it there's the like we were just talking about something breaks you got to find a solution and that sucks because you've probably lost in the short term or been hurt to be able to need to have a reason to be motivated to find that solution or you can just like see these people thriving and be like i want that what are they doing right and that's Bitcoin. And it's not like, like my, I'm so down on my Bitcoin. If you're looking at it in like a dollar value sense, like the worst investment of my life. Absolutely. But the amount that it's taught me about money and like life, my life, my life has completely changed. Like part of that's growing up, like, and I would probably be doing whatever, like good (laughs) four years later. But I mean, after going to this beef initiative conference, I just felt the energy of everyone and was like, wow, I have been wanting to eat better. I have been wanting to stretch and like get work out and be better with my body because I know that's been holding me back on my business and these people are doing it. So I'm going to do what they're doing because it's working for them right. and in my own way, but like, we're going to build off of that and build that baseline up. Um, and so like in talking about, my passion for community and conversations and all that is like, I want to be the positive reason that you get into Bitcoin. I want to like create this community and be like, Hey, friends that are like my personal friends that are not like nothing into Bitcoin. Look at this other group of people that I know that is killing it. Don't you want to come hang out with us? Right. And so like I organized a, a, you'll probably release this after this, but I've organized a a Bitcoin meetup in Denver on Friday, January 13th at seven o'clock. Cool at Zeppelin station, just in case. Um, (laughs) But like, I also invited like, and I've met a bunch of Bitcoiners in Denver and had great times at meetups. Um, And so I want to get them all together for myself and like, just to be with people, but also uh, inviting all my normal friends too. like, come hang out, come meet these people. I think they're awesome. By osmosis, they might just be influenced. Totally. If you're curious, like you're going to learn from these people. And if not, maybe next year, you know, Dude, I, you would be a, uh, if you were in another life or if you become a formal educational teacher, uh, you would be phenomenal because you got, you got that thing for it. Um, that, that's awesome. So you even being a, a business owner, 
a question that I always ask or that I've been asked that I, I don't think I have the best answer for when being asked by no coiners is, okay, if you're saying that Bitcoin is this phenomenal store of value and um, it's the best savings vehicle that we have access to, why would people ever be incentivized to spend it? Um, I've been asked that many times and I've even tried to think about it. I've heard a lot of answers, but I'd be curious to get your opinion on that being a business owner and having seen people spend Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, what's their why? Do you think it's, are they, are they spending only because they're up or when they're up? Or do you think the spending is coming from a different place? What's your take on it, that? If you're buying things with Bitcoin because it's like the right financial decision, I don't know what numbers you're using. Like it's not. And so there's privacy benefits, you know, like if I use my credit card, my purchases are tracked, all my information is tracked and out there and sold. Um, so there's that, like, I'm a normal person. I don't, I mean, I would love to worry about that, but like, realistically, I'm not making my decisions like that. And most people aren't. Um, so what I find is the benefit is a few things. When I got into accepting Bitcoin transactions, like I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just like, oh man, I don't have a lightning wallet. I'm going to use on chain, which doesn't work because it's going to take an average of 10 minutes for that mm. transaction to settle and cost more money. I want instant free transactions. So I had to learn how to set up a lightning, a lightning wallet. And then I had to learn how to set up a, a Bitcoin point of sale to accept. So my employees could accept Bitcoin without having access to my wallet. And that Bitcoin would come to my wallet personally. Um, and early stages of all this Bitcoin adoption, like the tools are growing and are way better than when you got in in 2017. I mean, the Lightning Network hardly existed back then. Yeah. Um, and so for people that don't, I guess everyone probably this far into the podcast is into Bitcoin, <laughs> but um, <laughs> Lightning Network facilitates uh, free and instant transactions of Bitcoin that you then later settle on the base chain. And so it's a learning experience one. I think that underrated, like when you, throughout the beginning of like my journey of understanding bitcoin how to store it how to move it and all that stuff like i'm sending it to like my personal wallet from my like coinbase account and that's all i'm doing and then it's sitting there i do like and then i have the same wallet over and over and over so like i'm not learning anything every transaction i'm just going through the motions but learning how to just like you know so you have some bitcoin on your hot wallet on your lightning wallet and you do a transaction that way like i think it just it, it gets you in a better spot in case like shit were to go down and you need to move your Bitcoin. Like you're going to be a lot more comfortable with that. Additionally, and this is no benefit to the purchaser, but it's really cool for the seller is you can build a non Bitcoin, non KYC or know your customer Bitcoin stack. Cool. So you have all this Bitcoin coming in from all these different places. Um, there's mixing services now, so you could do whatever with that. I'm still learning about that, but I could just have this wallet that has no connection to any knowledge of like what anything is. And there's just all these random Bitcoin purchases coming in. Um, I've, and I've, so I've, no I've one... heard of those mixing services. I, I haven't looked into it much, but so that's a separate, that's... separate thing there. But thing? Um, what I'm getting at is like, it's essentially all these random Bitcoin from all these different people are coming into one address. So no one knows who owns that address. And um, like, if it were, if for some reason, like I was ever blacklisted by the U S government but right. for, uh, for something. And they were like, this is his address. Um, we know when coins move or whatever, like they wouldn't know about that address. Right. The mixing services I'm still learning about. And I think that that's, that's kind of like the next frontier that I'm looking at getting into an understanding is just like, increased privacy within bitcoin um is is being not knowing where those come from i feel like since it's so new being a, a business owner who accepts bitcoin has to be an entire field in and of itself it doesn't matter what business you're in learning about bitcoin or how to integrate bitcoin into your business is probably an entire genre or ecosystem yeah and i think it's a lot more accessible there's there's not that many and so it's it's cool to meet other people that do it but like i don't think it's <sighs> 
it's tough to do on a larger scale. Like I'm a one man show for the most part. Right. I hire people when I need help, but I don't have any like employees. And so I'm able to just be like, oh, cool. So this percentage of my sales is in Bitcoin. I'm just going to hold that for the long term because I'm fine. Um, but if I was doing like, if I was doing like 50% of my sales or something in Bitcoin, like I can't just operate a business and hold all that. Right. Yeah. So that, that, that's where bigger implications are at play at that point. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. something, and, that's something you have to deal with as I guess, as time goes on. Yeah. And I mean, Bitcoin is very much like you're going to have these huge ups and downs. And I mean, essentially all the wine I've sold for Bitcoin, I sold at a massive discount because I sold it at higher Bitcoin prices. <laughs> right. Um, I'm not worried about that. Like it's, you know, it's one, a smaller percentage of my sales and two, I'm holding it forever for, you know, long time. Um, and I have a lot of wine. Like, it's not like I've sold out of wine and have no product and I'm like, shit, I just ran out of money. But like, <laughs> um, yeah, if you're one, if you're on a tighter margin business, it's going to create more issues. And if you have just more overhead um, and you need every available dollar to do things like, yeah, you're going to struggle a lot more to operate with. Like, I don't there's some people that like are trying to set their prices in just Bitcoin. And I don't like I don't understand how you can do that with so much fluctuation. Um, there's the people world, pushing the, the edge further much. than me. Yeah, the world is still too much on a dollar standard, mm -hmm. I think, for that to be understood by most. Because yeah. I mean, we still denominate everything in dollar terms. Even when I see, I, I've seen a lot of old school Bitcoiners laugh at people that even worry about Bitcoin and dollar price. But I mean, we we do still operate in this in this matrix to a degree. Well, and those old school Bitcoiners are like, I'm up 10,000%, so right. screw you. you right, know? right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they're, and they're able to laugh from their thrones. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, no. So I, 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 I totally get it. Um, even, even shifting back to your, uh, to your wine business. Um, how many different kind of wines do you make? Um, and I know it might be hard for you to pick, but do you have a, a favorite of your own? Easy to pick the favorite. I, I make like, um, right now I've got six varieties, um, for sale. And it kind of changes every year based off of grape availability. So like uh, 2020, I made five, six different, I released six different varieties. 2021, I went a little crazy um, and bought a bunch of different varieties. And then I'm kind of realizing that um, it's a better move to stick to just a few. But in the early stages of like wanting to see what works and just try a bunch of different things, I was like, okay, let's go out, let's try everything and then suck it back in. So thing is, is that's two years delayed. So like my right. sucking it back in is happening now, but it won't be seen by the market for two years. And so I've, what grows well in Colorado, which is what I'm trying to showcase is Cabsov, Cab Franc, Merlot, primarily. And then there's a few different other varieties. Those are grown in Grand Junction, Palisade area, the Grand mm. Valley. That's about 2000 feet lower in elevation than I am. It's a world of difference. So where I am, I grow Pinot Noir. I think that that is the red grape that grows the best. And it's the highest elevation Pinot in North America. Wow, that's cool. So it's a pretty unique thing to be doing. There's a few other wineries that grow it. Um, and it's really just like shown to be an awesome, like it's it really, Pinot Noir really expresses itself well there in Peonia. So I'm diving into that. It's the only one I grow. And then I source the rest of my grapes from a fifth generation family farm cool. out in Palisade. It's just a bigger growing area. I can get more grapes there. Yeah, yeah. Riesling, Gewürztraminer, and Chardonnay also grow really well where I am. Um, but Pinot Noir only, is the only red. Only red? I'm moving towards pretty much. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. much moving in that direction, but I have made white in the past. Okay. And now, um, and now when you're saying that you're, that you're changing the grapes or you have to plant more grapes, are you rotating or are you planting on new land or just land that you haven't? Uh, so we, the vineyard that's producing right now was planted in 2004 and so those grapes are very well established. Uh, what's that? 19 years old now. 
that is if you go to Europe, like that's a considered an extremely young vineyard. Right. <laughs> so uh, it's just crazy how long um, grapevines live and, and thrive. Um, we three, three years ago, we started planting a new vineyard. We've kind of had some struggles getting it going. There's just been some dry, really hot springs when we've been doing it. So we're still constantly like planting in and replanting. Um, but when you plant a vineyard, if all goes well, you're not going to see any real return on your investment for seven or eight years. You have four or five years of growing and two to three years of aging. That's tough. So now uh, I would guess that not many people would even get started, like I was saying before, because that that seems like too far of a leap. You have to have so much capital up front to start a vineyard. There's a reason that there's no young winemakers. I mean, that are, are great vineyard owners like it you buy maybe you can buy a plot of land that already has a vineyard but like starting a new one not happening no way and i mean unless you're insanely rich what if you bought bitcoin in 2010 you know maybe you start a vineyard <laughs> and you're one of those people you know telling you not to price their bitcoin in dollars as you're yeah you're buying your winery that's awesome man um so now uh, you you touched on what you wanted to do going forward especially in your community um, but do you have any short-term plans that you want to share with people or that you want to inform people on, um, that you're doing with your winery or anything like that? So I, I mean, I'm really at this point, like just kind of realizing that I really need to take education seriously. Um, I, I moved to Vietnam for a year and I taught English wow. and really liked teaching. I have a geology background and a science and math background. So English was not the coolest subject, but like <laughs> whenever I can get on something that is really fun to teach, like, like I said, personal finance a million times, um, it's amazing for me. So I want to dive now that I have a baseline of knowledge in wine. Like I want to dive and educate that alongside Bitcoin. Um, and so I'm just kind of in the process of like feeling things out and like wanting to, put on Bitcoin, wine, educational events, tastings, however it goes and like move my business in that direction because that's what I'm passionate about. And like I said, wine's a vehicle. And so I guess anyone who's interested in that, I would be psyched if you reached out um, if you're into so, events yeah, what are, or Bitcoin. What are, some, or, what are some good places for people to reach out and get in touch? So with? you can check out my website is peonylanewine.com. And I'm on Twitter at bjusty1. Um, those are awesome spots to reach out to me and um, just love love chatting with interesting people. So, um, yeah, man, yeah. I I I almost I I just missed the the timing. Um, I saw you sending out a couple tweets right before Christmas time. It might have been you know maybe a week beforehand when you're getting out your last orders to get to everyone by Christmas Eve. And yeah. I saw it when I was at work and I wasn't able to put in the order, but um, it's, it's, it's on my list to order a few bottles because my wife and I just got a wine fridge. Um, so now oh, we, hell yeah. we have a perfect place to, to store it. So I'll get on. Yeah, that I was really envisioning time. people being like being the crazy Bitcoin in their family. Cause you know, <laughs> if you are, you're probably a lot of time. it's like rare to hear, Oh wow. I come from a family of Bitcoiners. Like that's rare. Right. Um, so there's usually just one and it's cool to be like, oh, I'm going to bring the wine this year. And then Bitcoin comes up and they're like, well, how's your Bitcoin doing? You can't even do anything with it. You're down 80%. <laughs> Actually, how do you like that wine, mom? It's good. Yeah, I bought it with Bitcoin. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> it's just cool to have down. something tangible. Like I said, like I want, there's bad, a lot of like fear mongering, bad reasons to get out of the current system and get into Bitcoin. But like there's once you're into Bitcoin and you get over that to like whatever it takes, like craziness period where it just takes over your life. And you're like, wow, this is a whole new paradigm and way of seeing the world. Once you kind of settle in after that, it's like, okay, what can I build? And it's cool to see what people are building within Bitcoin or a Bitcoin adjacent. And in like being a Bitcoin or business owner, I've, you know, people reach out to me with stuff they're doing and it's, it's really cool to see. Dude, I'm on the same path in the health coaching journey. Um, and, and the, what you just said right there is, is exactly it. What can I build? 
And I think as more people start to think that way, we're going to start to see greater options and better communities, stronger communities, more aligned communities and individuals. And uh, to me, that sounds like a, a better place to live and be. Bitcoin's going to help you found, figure out your foundation. And when you have that strong foundation, you can build anything. Hell yeah. On that note, um, thank you for spending this time with me. I really appreciate it. I feel like I could uh, I could do this for hours with you, um, especially if we were in person. I, I catch myself saying that to a lot of my guests. And that's really what hit me last night when I said that podcasting is really just sitting down with cool and interesting people. Um, because I would have all of these conversations I've had recorded, I would have had them in person um, 10 times over. And even as I've listened back to all of these conversations, I've learned something new each and every time. So um, thank you again. I really appreciate it. And uh, this was awesome. I'm looking forward to see what you're doing as time of goes on. Of course. Back. You're really good at this, by the way. So Thanks, um, keep it up. I'm excited to, to hear more of what you put out. Thanks, man. I appreciate it.